Hello from Cyberry and Delinea, and welcome to the show. If you've been enjoying the Cyberry podcast or 401 Access Denied, then make sure to like, follow, and subscribe so that you don't miss any future episodes. We'd love to hear from you. Join the discussion by leaving us a comment or review on your platform of choice or emailing us at podcast at cyberry.it. From all of us at Cyberry and Delinea, thank you and enjoy the show. Hello, everyone. Welcome back to another episode of the 4-1 Access Denied podcast. So really excited to be here. I'm your host uh, for the episode, Joseph Carson, and I'm joined uh, again with Chloe, uh, my new co-host of the shows. So, Chloe, do you want to give us an introduction, uh, who you are, and also yeah. who your guest will be? Hi, everyone. My name is Chloe Mistagi, and I'm the Chief Impact Officer over at Cybery. And today we have Chris Kabeka. Chris, why don't you tell the world a little bit about yourself? Well, um, I wear a couple of different hats. I run my own incident management company for nation state attacks only with government reference. And also I am currently the distinguished chair of the Middle East Institute's cybersecurity and emerging technology program, as well as being an ethical hacker. (laughs) Fantastic. Uh, One of the things I think uh, me and Chloe has been watching uh, this year, which uh, has been fascinating, just watching your journey and experience. Uh, I think we were, we were kind of chatting on on uh, social media quite often as we were going through that. It was quite shocking, and you know, the episodes this year and the events, you know, starting from January right through to even now, has been shocking the world. Um, and what's been happening in Ukraine has just been devastating. It's been sometimes even hard to watch um, and, and difficult to watch in the reality of, of what's happening. Um, and I think the audience would really like to kind of see your journey. Um, you know, what's been happening. Can you start, what were you doing in Ukraine uh, to begin with uh, uh, and kind of give us a bit of a background of how how you got there? Because I I know we kind of, we've done a lot of kind of work in it before and just curious kind of how your travels started, started there. Oh, definitely. Um, I was asked if I would stage in the capital city in case there were any nuclear cyber attacks. Part of my background Mm -hmm. is uh, dealing with nuclear cyber incidents. So I've done uh, six kind of big ones uh, Mm -hmm. in the past. And I thought, well, you know, haven't been to Ukraine before. Sure thing, (laughs) right? Um, So I ended up taking the very last Air France flight into Mm -hmm. the capital city and got there on the 20th. And um, it, it was very interesting because no one really knew what was going to happen. There had been troop buildups along mm-hmm. some of the borders, and there was a lot of uh, fake news going around, a lot of propaganda, mm-hmm. misinformation, disinformation, malinformation, as well as um, is what uh, so, uh, Western media telling us going to actually happen, or is this you know just a, a lot of fluff? Because um, unfortunately, you know the way that you get uh, news stories, uh, clicks, and reads is to make them as sensationalized as possible. That happens everywhere. Mm-hmm. Um, so the next day, uh, around the time that I got noticed that uh, Air France was cutting off all flights um, during a very late lunch dinner, um, I also was notified that uh, there were attacks against the water infrastructure in Luhansk mm-hmm. that uh, they were starting to attribute to cyber attacks and it affected all of the water infrastructure at once. Uh, mm-hmm. which nobody believed it was just a breakdown of the mechanics of the facilities. And 
Also around that time, uh, ATM machines, again, in the capital city stopped working. Uh, by Tuesday, the next day, um, there were problems with currency exchange. And mm -hmm. also there started to get disruptions uh, with the um, uh, DIA app, which is the ID app that Ukraine has, where it has mm -hmm. your ID, your tax information, your car registration, your vaccination status, and your, your business information as well, if you own a business. Mm -hmm. um, by Wednesday, things were uh, starting to heat up. I just happened to be in the hotel, the Intercontinental in Kyiv, where all the journalists were at. So mm -hmm. there were a lot of conversations going around. Some of the major media decided to leave, uh, which is understandable. Yeah. Um, and then there were uh, plans put into motion. Uh, we had received through one particular media outlet uh, intelligence from the Pentagon themselves saying that uh, they thought an attack would occur at 4 a.m. on Thursday morning, the 24th. Mm -hmm. um, since uh, I was not the immediate recipient, uh, the journalist who got it asked me to uh, speak with the staff uh, because he wasn't permitted to and tell them because they had been asking me uh, when they should leave. So I told them they should get their stuff and start going. Uh, we also started setting up evacuation plans. Um, I had a couple of routes out. One was with a particular um, security team of a media outlet. Uh, so he got me ready with um, the, where we were going to meet, when we were going to go, uh, a flak vest as well uh, mm -hmm. to uh, get everything prepared. Uh, and then on the other side, uh, a Ukrainian that I'd met because uh, I had uh, gone around Kiev a little bit, kind of you know waiting for a phone call something bad was going to happen to the nuclear infrastructure. And he had already arranged a bus and he had asked me that evening at about 10 p.m., should I get my family out? And I said, yes, absolutely. So he started uh, moving his wife and children south of the capital city, but said he would be back um, early in the morning to pick us up if I didn't want to go with the uh, news media. Mm -hmm. So it, it seemed, you know, like a, a tense time, but I uh, had been on a call uh, that evening uh, with a bunch of kind of like-minded people, national security with a focus on cyber, which lasted until about 3 a.m. Thursday morning. I, I love the call and love the people, hate the time zone difference. Uh, <laughs> it's every Wednesday. Yes. And um, I'd also um, sent out, well, quoted a tweet when one journalist said there's a rumor that uh, the attack is going to start at 4 a.m. And I said, yes, that's the rumor. We're all expecting it, you know, basically. Mm -hmm. um, so I tried to go to sleep. I was watching uh, a U.N. special session and I thought, all right, I'll just I'll make sure I I had my bag packed. I'd already uh, cleared out uh, all the non-perishables from the minibar. You know, just in case, right? Because you don't know. You never know, you never know when's the next uh, next time you get a shop or money. Is, is, uh, correct, correct, right? And um, I was wearing my clothes, and I was like, "All right, I'm going to get some sleep." And I think I tweeted, "I'm finally going to go to sleep." About five minutes later, um, boom! Mm -hmm. And I immediately got contacted by the security team, going, "They're shelling." Um, 
Because at first we were hoping that they were just shelling right along the border, but uh, mm -hmm. where the capital city is, it's actually not that far from the border. So we started getting more shelling um, as it was starting to get uh, daylight. Uh, we could see there was smoke all around. We got word that the airport had been heavily damaged and possibly destroyed. And by 6 a.m., uh, I decided to go with uh, Mikhail's bus um, and uh, start getting out with them. And we were trying to figure out, okay, how many other people need to get out? There was one person with the bus that also uh, had been registering um, Americans and basically people from uh, the U.S. or Canada, Australia, New Zealand. Um, so Five Eyes, if you don't know what Five Eyes are, uh, it's those particular countries. And I had my bag packed. Uh, I left half my stuff behind because... You know, when you're going to evacuate from a war zone, you kind of want to do it lightweight. Uh, so I had my one bag and my my mini bag, my uh, mini bar stuff, right, all ready to go, and flak vest ready to go. And uh, we headed down to um, it was a Hilton. And when we got there, I was looking at this building like this is one of the tallest buildings in the capital city. Why are we picking up people here? But okay, cool meeting place. Um, and there was a lot of panic on the streets. Uh, people, uh, started walking with luggage, uh, trying to get out. You could see that the traffic, uh, was getting very bad. And, uh, we had a group of Americans that were so panicked. They had brought like, I don't know, eight large suitcases. A again, when you're evacuating, it's best not to, because those suitcases take up room from people who can actually get in. And, it's a way, yeah, space from people who actually need to get, get moving. Right, you know. Um, so we ended up having the Sprinter van, which mm -hmm. could fit, I think, 26 people, uh, and then a car to follow. And we made the decision, because uh, they had asked, well, which way should we go? And I go, well, we can't go north. We can't go east. The traffic is terrible to the west. Let's go south. And uh, the uh, two Americans that had all the luggage, they panicked so bad that they then were just in tears, started removing the luggage. Um, and then I realized why we started seeing paratroopers in the sky um, coming, you know, which is not a good sign. And of course, this whole time you could hear shelling. And then we got uh, warned about a tank column on its way to the capital city, um, which luckily, I believe it was... Um, a young man with a drone that warned the Ukrainian army and they were able to take mm -hmm. out that tank column before it got to the capital city. Uh, so, you know, thank goodness for other people. Um, so we were almost on our way out and there was this uh, guy that walked up to us in English. He's like, can you help us? Um, we came here for business. And when we contacted the people who hired us, uh, they were like, "Who's who, new phone? Who's this?" Uh, with no evacuation plan for him. So we're like, "Well, we got this luggage off, and the two Americans, you know, left with all this luggage. We have room. Just get on." And it was uh, eight Romanians uh, who were there uh, for journalistic purposes. So they ended up getting on, um, and we ended up. Uh, luckily, Mikhail. Uh, he had been a tour operator throughout Ukraine, so he knew a lot of the back roads. Mm -hmm. And we started heading through the back roads, trying to avoid the traffic. 
Uh, we almost got stuck in a farmer field. That was not good <laughs> at all. Um, and then uh, finally we got through the field, uh, had to backtrack a bit, and then got to the city where he had uh, put his uh, wife and two children in, which was just south of Kiev. Mm -hmm. uh, again, heading through the back roads, trying to avoid the highway because, you know, people don't particularly yeah. like to get bombed. So you're going the back roads, and I mean, you get into the quality of the roads can be pretty bad, uh, yeah. if I remember. Uh, and also, then you also have not as many fuel stations as well. Did that cause any problems of you know quality of the roads, and also you know probably shortage of fuel? Oh, absolutely. Uh, they had started restricting fuel at that point. Mm -hmm. It was to twenty liters, which I think is is that four gallons, something That's, like that, yes. and yeah. <laughs> something like that. <laughs> and, you know, here we had the, the two vehicles. Uh, so whenever we could, we tried to make sure that we had um, enough gasoline uh, mm -hmm. because also it was cold. We ended up having 26 people total between the two vehicles. Uh, so you need to keep the heat on. We had kids. Mm -hmm. uh, they didn't quite understand what was going on, but their parents told them that they were going on a camping trip and adventure. Uh, okay. So uh, figured that was best, right? And uh, we decided to use some of my, uh, my friends. I contacted um, a buddy of mine. He goes by Dutch OSINT guy, mm -hmm. and he's in the Netherlands. And I go, hey, I don't know how much longer internet's going to stay up because it was already getting affected. Uh, so can you help us get a safe route to avoid bad areas mm -hmm. uh, by tracking my GPS on my phone? And he goes, yep, definitely. So we started to do that. And then the next uh, bigger, not big city, but, you know, bigger than a village, uh, we were actually going to turn into uh, to take a break because the kids were going buck wild. And right before uh, we were going to head into that city, he goes, don't go to that city. Bombing is imminent. So I told uh, the bus in front of us because I was in the car behind and Mikhail made a very sharp right turn and started hauling ass. Again, it was a back road. Um, so we were hitting probably about 100 or over 100 kilometers an hour. And within seconds of turning, we all heard uh, the bombs start to be dropped. Mm -hmm. So luckily we avoided that. Um, and we ended up going through several villages. Uh, we noticed uh, propaganda pamphlets were mm -hmm. dropped on the road. And uh, also we found that the Wagner group um, had already had people in uh, south and central to Kiev, and they were trying to set up checkpoints and tried to stop us. And we decided to press on the gas as hard as possible to blow past them. Uh, because that would have been a bad thing. Uh, for, the, for the audience, it's the, for the Wagner group itself, is basically the mercenary paid uh, military and intelligence part um, of Russia. So it's, it's a very kind of common thing that they use uh, from a privatization perspective. Yeah, they, they are not people you want to want to stop and chat with. Let's put Correct. it that way, right? Uh, we ended up catching up to the truck uh, that was actually dropping the propaganda pamphlets, which I snapped a photo of. I should have tweeted that out. Um, <laughs> and uh, we ended up driving uh, probably ooh, well over 20 hours uh, mm -hmm. that day. 
Um, so tired, in fact, that uh, one of the last checkpoints we went through, Ukrainian checkpoints, mm -hmm. um, Mikhail was so tired, he actually bumped into one of the uh, barricades. Luckily, mm -hmm. there wasn't enough damage to uh, keep us from driving. And uh, he picked a spot that was about an hour, hour and a half driving distance from Syria, Romania, where there was no real town. It was a resort, not usually open that time of the year. Yeah. He called because we're know, talking about still January, late January, so it's February. Yeah. February, yeah. So it's kind of cold and not touristy season. So no, know. no. But we figured we wanted to be someplace where uh, we wouldn't get bombed, mm -hmm. and there was nothing around. Um, and, uh, so we figured, all right, we'll sleep a few hours, um, and then start heading towards the border. So that's what we did. And we had heard that there were long lines at the border, but, uh, we didn't know that those long lines were more like days of lines, uh, okay. because we were so absolutely tired. Uh, Mikhail, myself, and, and Brian were all taking shifts, uh, driving the two vehicles and mm -hmm. then trying to get sleep. And I also found out, I hope this doesn't offend anyone. Um, I'm, I'm kind of glad I'm not a parent boy, hats off to parents because I swear mm -hmm. to goodness gracious, anytime I tried to sleep, those kids were awake. <laughs> wow. Yeah. Uh, woo. So, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> So uh, we, we entered the very long line. Uh, some people had been there a while, so obviously uh, very stressed out, mm -hmm. yelling, banging on cars, don't you dare jump in line in front of me, all sorts of stuff. And there were limited services. And then when we could get some internet, because it was very spotty, um, we learned that uh, all of the border crossings were like that. Um, as nights started to fall, we're like, well, it's not like we're going to be able to turn back around. We're going to all be sleeping in this bus now. Yay. I swear the kids just never slept. And oh my God. <laughs> <laughs> <I'm> not, <laughs> they're going on a camping trip. They're so excited. It's like excited. Disneyland, excited. right? Excited. Okay. Energy is definitely, you know, it's, it's something, an adventure for them. Yeah. So. Yeah. Yeah. So we were, you know, kind of uh, inching along little by little, uh, you know, trying to keep people from, you know, beating the, uh, the bus up. There were some, there was a petrol station on the right hand side and we were able to get a bit of water, which was good and some snacks. And of course I had the mini bar snacks. Uh, so that was good. Um, and then uh, I had to stay awake to keep moving forward that evening. And so I, I decided to do a ask me anything on Twitter while it was going, yeah. you know, and uh, while I could uh, get Internet. We were close enough to the border where I could manually switch uh, and try to keep switch to a Romanian provider. And mm -hmm. then we could get Internet. But the Ukrainian provider was just getting hit. And I heard later from the news that the Russians were disrupting the internet service already. Um, then probably about ooh, 2 or 3 a.m., uh, the wife of Mikhail woke up and noticed we weren't moving at all. So she's like, all right, I'm going to uh, try to talk to a border guard. And she decided to do, uh, 
I don't know, it was like almost three kilometers to do the walk uh, to talk to someone. Mm -hmm. And when she came back, uh, she's like, there's been a cyber attack. Well, I'm like, oh, that's interesting. Uh, so as daylight broke, um, we started moving again a little bit. And then Misha and I, or Mikhail, I call him Misha Mikhail, um, decided to walk up ourselves uh, to speak to the border guards. And he did all the translation because he speaks four languages. And uh, he introduced me saying, hey, why, why I was in Ukraine, what's going on? And they're like, yeah, we've had a cyber attack, a wiper virus. Mm -hmm. uh, so they sent us through the chain all the way up to the senior officer uh, who said, yeah, we, everything's been wiped. Uh, one of the reasons why it was so slow getting through the border was they could only let through one car at a time. They were using pencil and paper. Mm -hmm. uh, one car at a time when, you know, hundreds of thousands, if not, you know, a million people were trying to get out. Mm -hmm. um, so uh, after the senior officer used a landline to check me out, um, he came back saying, all right, you need to get out, uh, bring your bus forward, we'll send a soldier to get through, because trust mm -hmm. me, the crowd was not pleased that we were suddenly cutting in line. Yeah, when, you see, when, you see, when you see somebody coming from the back and you've been there for probably days, <laughs> right? It's, it's not a good feeling. It's not a good feeling, right? <laughs> um, so we got to uh, the, the front. Um, I was also told, you know, there was uh, various lists that uh, mm -hmm. were supposedly going around. I'm not sure if it ended up being true or not, uh, but that uh, there were people that the Russians wanted to kill in Ukraine, and I uh, have a tendency to make fun of Putin. So uh, perhaps it was not very safe for me to uh, be in Ukraine at that moment. Um, so we were able to get out. Um, luckily, because at first I, I seriously thought we're, we might have to like bribe some people uh, as well. So I got my, I always have like a little bit of gold on me, something I learned from the military to buy your freedom. <laughs> so getting together, you know, any cash that we might have, whatever, with, you know, busload of people and jewelry and trying to figure out, all right, if we have to bribe our way out to actually get out, this is what we're going to do. Uh, luckily, they let us all out, uh, no bribery needed. Um, and they also lit out uh, Mikhail. Mm -hmm. um, which at the time they were not letting basically any men get out. Yeah, the conscription to basically that basically everyone was basically conscribed to an army that was below 65 or something, or I can't remember which yeah. age. Was it. Yeah. And there was another complication. Mm -hmm. Well, several, um, if you had the time to grab your exemption letter, um, mm -hmm. that was nice, but of course people were fleeing, but the records, the digital records of exemptions was also wiped. Mm -hmm. Uh, so basically anybody that felt like they were, uh, also in the medical field, male or female could not get out. Mm -hmm. And, um, with that, uh, there were some ID databases that were wiped, including, uh, something involved children. So if you didn't have a hard copy and proof that your child was absolutely yours, they weren't going to let you out with a child that you couldn't prove was you yours either. Some documentation. Cause I mean, when, when people's fleeing, the, you know, it's not like you're going to go and start looking through your drawers for all of the paperwork and stuff. And you, you, you know, time's essential. Um, and I've heard lots of, you know, stories where, you know, documentation has been left behind and trying to prove is, is, is very difficult at that point. Don't you just hate it when a podcast episode 
leaves at a cliffhanger? Well, unfortunately, that's what's happening here. Make sure to tune in in the next two weeks for the continued journey of Chris Becca escaping from Ukraine. Learn how your team can get a free trial of Cybrary for Business by going to www.cybrary.it slash business. This podcast is also brought to you by Delinea. Dicotic and Centrify are now Delinea, the leader in privileged access management. To learn more, visit delinea.com.